0: chapter 7 and i want to turn our attention there to matthew chapter 7 and we'll kind of we'll kind of stay there and rest on that the title of this sermon this morning is a title that you will not understand until the end hallelujah 220 million and i'm not talking about dollars that would be nice would that be good news if i said church somebody gave our church 220 million (laughs) dollars it could happen we would be building tomorrow we would start tomorrow all right Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. We're going to begin reading at verse 24. and Jesus is speaking. This is, of course, at the tail end of the, what I call the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, a sermon that, right, it, 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 there's so much good stuff in this sermon, right? Like the Beatitudes... The Lord's Prayer: uh, "Do not worry about tomorrow." Matthew six and around twenty five about tomorrow for tomorrow we'll worry about itself. Matthew six thirty three. One of my wife's favorite verses, mine too. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The same. What an amazing sermon this is. I mean, I mean, there's parts in it like I mean, like don't try to point out the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye, right? When you have a plank, a two by four, in your own eye. This is, just the greatest, this is just the greatest sermon ever. And if you haven't read Matthew 5, 6, 7 recently, I just implore you to do that. Like, I should almost think that we should read this once a month in our personal walk. I mean, this is the very words of Jesus. In Matthew 7, Jesus speaking, and this is at the end of the sermon. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Now, he's been saying a lot. Remember, he's been preaching this message. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers or scribes of the law. So Jesus ends this sermon here towards the end of his sermon with this inevitable question. I mean, it's right before you. He's literally saying, like, what are you building your life on? Like, what are you building your life on, right? It's kind of like he uses what I call a common tactic in Scripture. Uh, Jesus paints a visual picture of a question that he's asking, what are you building your life on? And so it's really easy if you are like me to visualize, like, these two men, these two houses, right? They're identical houses, uh, who, that, that face the same storm but they have completely different outcomes so we we have Jesus painting this amazing picture here it's a, I mean it's it's not just a really good sermon it's like the greatest sermon uh, and he ends this message with a picture this visual image of what do you build your life on and, and I'd like to literally say it's like a masterpiece painting, right? You ever watch like Bob Vila? He's, some of you know what Bob Vila is, right? He would paint these paintings, and like he would paint something, and then he would take this color, and I, and I want, I'm like he messed it up, right? I'm like, why is he doing that, right? But as you would see him fill in the 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 the, the, the painting with colors, it all came together, and I think this sermon is like a beautiful masterpiece, right? It's a it's a painting. And, and he paints this picture. Like this fork in the road. This choice of like, what are you building your life on? And, and we see the same thing happening throughout the Bible, right? How about in the garden? I mean, how, about, how many, how many know in the garden there was a, a fork in the road? Like God was saying, it's either my way or your way. Now, it's, it's a choice that you'll see throughout the Bible. It's reiterated in Deuteronomy and throughout the Bible Remember, he's like, I set before you a choice between life and death, and blessing and cursing. And so God pleads with us, right? Choose life so that your descendants may live. How many, the Bible is full of these like choices, like what house will you build, on sand or on rock? Will you follow me or follow your desires, right? So the Bible is full of this again and again, in Psalm chapter 1, we find it again, and it's the very first psalm, of course. Here's a tree, right? Here's this tree. Its branches are vibrant. They're, they're, they're living. They're looking good. And, and, and it, it, it produces fruit season after season. And on the other end is tumbleweed. So we have like this healthy tree that's producing fruit. And then you have tumbleweed, which is dry, which is prickly. And so there's this choice again. And and like, who would you rather be? Would you rather be the tree that produces fruit? Or would you rather be dry tumbleweed? I hope that no one in this room is like, I really want to be like dry tumbleweed. It's not a great choice. I want to be a tree that's producing, right? That's living that's 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 other people can can gain something from it's strong it's living And So we hear these stories throughout the Bible like these choices being made and so This guy built this house and it looked pretty good and it got destroyed right the one on the sand and That's not good over over here. This guy built an identical house It's on a rock and the storms the same storm comes and that that house survives the storm and I think that we would all want to be in that house, right? I, I want to be in that house if a storm is coming up, and because I know I'm going to be okay. So, Which is, of course, what Jesus, Jesus wanted the audience to respond with. And, and I truly believe that we all want our lives to be built on the right things. I, I truly believe as believers we understand that I want my life to be built on the right thing. I want my relationship, amen, to be built on the right thing. I don't want my relationship to be built on something that's not of God. Because how many know, it won't last. And I forgot to make a really cool announcement today. We have a more than married thing coming up, and it's going to be awesome. We listened to John and Lisa Bevere are teaching this great study. And how many know, in your relationship, it has to be built on something. I mean, something from God. And so I think we all said, "God, I want this new year, really this new decade. I, I, like I want to be, I want to do something about my health or my finances, right?" I think all of us in this room think those things. Like I want my life to be built on something of significance. And how many know there's nothing greater than building your life on God's word? Yeah. Absolutely. And so. The Bible is very clear. Now, in a moment, I'm going to preach a little different sermon today than I normally do. And, and, and you might not even like me at the end of this sermon, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> just, for, just maybe by next week you'll like me again. But there's just some things that we have to hear sometimes. Amen? Amen. And, and I think it's really true. You know, there's, there's a, a philosopher who I never heard of until I did some reading yesterday. I looked up some of these things. But his name was George Santana. And he said, those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. That's right. Those who don't learn from the past, maybe past mistakes. If you don't learn from your mistakes, you are condemned to repeat it. Like you will do it again if you don't learn from something. And so that's not a scripture, but it sounds like it. And, and so as I was praying and I was you know, driving last week and I was flying, I was just praying for our church. I was really overwhelmed at times, almost to tears with like this great burden, like like God, what do what are we doing right now? Like where are we going? Like what we want I want more for our body. And so like in this new year, this new decade, I began to sense that there's something profoundly different happening. Like there's, there's something profoundly happening that's awesome, but there's also like something profoundly happening that's very difficult. How many know the enemy will try to if, if stop those areas that seem to be so healthy? And so it's like, Lord, I've just been praying in the spirit and just like kind of going through seasons. I know, I know many of you in this room have been praying and, 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 and believing for more. It's just like something, God, I'm just like, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Amen. I want to be there. I want to be in that house. Like, I want to build my life on that. Yes. Like, I've tried it. Many of you in this room have tried to build your life on other things. And how many know, it really doesn't last long. When the winds come and life brings out all the storms, it's just like there's nothing left. And so that's what I want to be. So I was praying about this, and, uh, and I was like, Lord, what do you want to do? What's happening, like, on the earth? Like, God is moving by his spirit. And I may think, sometimes maybe we don't see it because we live in our bubble here. Uh, I saw yesterday, like literally leading 100 people to Christ yesterday. I was like overwhelmed with tears. I come home after early in the morning. I'm like, I I, I told Heather, I'm like, I just literally can't believe what I just did. Every time I'm like, I just can't believe I just prayed for that many people in Pakistan to receive Christ. Like, I'm looking into, there's ladies right in front of the camera with full-on burkas crying, receiving Jesus Christ. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Is this... like, are you kidding me, God? And I'm like, Lord, I want that for us here in America. Yes. Like, I, I just don't want to just sit back and remember the stories of old, but I was, I was thinking about this learning from the past thing. And, and this is kind of going to maybe be throw you off a little bit, but I was like, what was it like 100 years ago? Now, nobody raised your hand, but some of you in this room are almost around 100 years ago. <laughs> so you might be able to tell it better than I But 100 years ago, our nation was preparing for the greatest disaster, the environmental disaster ever to hit this nation. And some of you are like, I didn't do that good in school. I don't know what you're talking about, but hopefully I'll help you understand because I also didn't pay attention in school the way I should have, especially history class, which now I love. But 100 years ago, our nation was preparing for something that would be known as the dust bowl. The Dust Bowl. That doesn't sound that terrible, but it was devastating. It was terrible. And it, it, it's not a football game. Or it's not the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, or the Cotton Bowl. It's not a football game, but it was a, a blizzard of dust that swept through the plains of America. It was devastating. And I heard about it. I remember hearing about it in high school. And I, I don't remember much, so of course, I Googled it, right? The greatest textbook ever invented, Google. <laughs> but I learned a lot about this dust bowl that, that literally started in the 1920s with what man did. And in the 1930s, we paid a price. It was, it, was inev- it was actually self-inflicted. And so what we have here, I actually have a couple pictures. The first one is a picture of what we would call a black blizzard, right? Right? These blizzards, uh, uh, they would show up and they would descend on cities. They would just kind of come in out of nowhere. And in some cases, they were 200 miles wide and 2,000 feet tall. These massive black blizzards that would move in uh, up to 65 miles per hour. Matter of fact, I was reading, they said sometimes they were so intense, they would literally strip the paint off people's cars and off their homes. Because they were just filled with like these little particles of the. Have you ever been on the beach and like sand starts blowing? It's just real uncomfortable. Just imagine being in like a tornado of sand, these dust bowls. And it says that they would they would descend on the cities and they would literally swallow them up. A uh, matter of fact, I, I read some stories that people would actually a lot of people actually lost their sight. They became blind because they got so much sand between their eyelid and their eyeball where they would just, it would grind their eyes and they, they lost sight. Just terrible things. Like you, you couldn't see. You, you couldn't stand. You, you could see literally nothing. It was like a black blizzard. And these days, I mean, these storms would go on for days and days and days. And I have a picture of a map of the United States. This is the area that was affected the greatest by This dust bowl. Matter of fact, at one point it went all the way across the United States, but it really affected, you know, the Great Plains, the area of the country known as the Great Plains. And right there at the center, where uh, the area that was most severely hit New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, where they all meet, that area was greatly, greatly devastated. And this place, this place on the map, It's called no man's land. Have you ever heard that expression? That's no man's land. Like nobody got out. If you were in that area, most likely you either had to get out and flee or you perished. Devastating storm. And it lasted for eight years. This this storm. That's a huge storm. And some areas of sand, I got another picture, would pile up. Literally, that looks like it's in like... uh, the, no, the desert, uh, Mojave Desert or the Sahara Desert, that, that, that's like Kansas or Oklahoma. Like the sand was so great. The dust, it would make like these, these miles and miles of, of just sand hills. And farmers were desperate. Cattle were dying. Horses were dying. Animals were dying. all Livestock was dying. People were dying. As a matter of fact, it got so bad. The kids for all these years would go to school with gas masks on. And adults, everyone had to wear these gas masks. It was so devastating. And, and this went on for almost a decade, like, like this storm. Uh, it started, and I'm going to explain how it started, but in the 1930s, it lasted for a decade. Nearly 7,000 people died which from this, uh, from this storm, and they called it dust pneumonia. Like, they breathed in so much dust, they got pneumonia. They called it dust pneumonia. It's when you can't breathe in and out anymore because your lungs are saturated with dust and particles. And so people would try to fill, like a lot of the homes were not like homes we see today, obviously. So they had a lot of cracks and it said at nighttime they would fill their homes. Like they would hang wet blankets and and press wet blankets to try to fill in anywhere where there's a crack. Because by the morning, a lot of these people, they would sweep out and shovel out the dust and the sand that would blow in through the night and they would breathe it in. Just a horrific storm. Many people left to find work elsewhere. But oh, by the way, this happened during a time known as the Great Depression. So not only do we have the storm, the dust bowl that's displaced many, many, many hundreds of thousands, if not almost millions of people, we also have the Great Depression. So as these people, you know, they they tried to move, they moved, one of the places that they moved to was was California. And we're talking like two and a half million people moving to California. And there's stories that when these people went to places like California, there were signs around town. Who's ever heard of the Grapes of Wrath? That's what this is. This is the Grapes of Wrath. They would go to these places outside of that region I showed you on the map, and there would be signs on stores, on movie theaters, you name it, and they would say like, things like, no dogs and no Okies. I mean, they got the terminology, Okies. That, that word, Okies, was anybody who was affected from this storm. Like, we don't want you here. Like, like, go back to where you belong. So these people were displaced, and they had nowhere to go. And so what happened is they would end up, one more photo here, they would end up in these places called shantytowns. This is literally where they would live. And you see this family, just this terrible condition. I mean, like really, I mean, we, sometimes we think we have it bad. But how I many? That's just, that's just awful. And you see a little baby with her mom, and they would live in these places called shantytowns where they would live in these horrible conditions. And, and they would just rarely have hardly anything to live off, you know, for days and days and days. So, no work, kind of no, no hope, no future. There's a story of a mother who, who, there's a story of her mother who on the same day, there was one day in particular where it was the worst day of all, the black blizzard, where many people died. On the same day, she lost her only child, a little girl, and she also lost her mother. And she was quoted by saying, on this day, I lost my connection to the past and I lost my hope for the future in one day. They died both of dust pneumonia. It's a terrible thing. It's known as the, the worst blizzard of dust of all time in the United States history. It was so devastating, like I said. It got so bad that in New York City that they were getting, the dust was going all the way to New York City. And even 250 miles off the eastern seaboard, there were ships that were also being filled with dust. So this is a huge storm. It's funny in high school how it didn't even even register, but now I think, like, how did I miss this? This is, like, something that's huge, devastating. Ended up in the White House, ended up everywhere. The strangest part of all, one of the strangest parts of all that, many animals, many animals were wiped out, but there was one animal that actually flourished in the dust. That were jackrabbits. Jackrabbits, for some reason, I mean, they populated during those eight years. Matter of fact, there's one story that they counted in one community, one small village, they counted they had over 30,000 jackrabbits in their town. And there are people who would tell stories that they thought they were living in the last days. They thought that this was a new plague of jackrabbits. And they said that the jackrabbits got very aggressive. And they would eat the doors Except for the doorknobs, if they weren't made out of wood, they would eat the fence posts, they would eat all everything they could eat. So the, the jackrabbits were, were like taking over, and people thought the world was ending and that was over. I mean, that's an interesting plague of jackrabbits, but how many know the Bible's full of interesting plagues and stories? But the worst part of this Thessalonians, I believe, it, it wasn't the, the bunnies. It wasn't the blizzards, as bad as they were. It wasn't everything else, the sickness, the destruction, the displacement. Probably the worst part was that this was man-made. It did not have to happen. Like, it was 100% preventable. What happened was, coming out of the Civil War, I'm giving you some history today. I hope that's okay. Any history buffs here today? Coming out of the Civil War, there was something called the Homestead Act. And the Homestead Act was actually really took, took full uh, uh, development in the early 1900s, around 1905, 1906, the Homestead Act. And what it was is people literally were given an opportunity to move west, like go west, young man. And they would move their families and they would uh, receive land for free, large areas of land. And the government said, you can have this land for free as long as you farm it. So what we had, we had in the late 1800s, early 1900s, a large amount of people who were not farmers going somewhere to farm that shouldn't have been farmed. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so anyone could do this. And this is kind of how it started. And so land was being snatched up in the area known as the Great Plains. The Great Plains is not Iowa. Iowa is lush. It's got beautiful soil. It's more like South Dakota, uh, western Nebraska, Colorado, like areas where grass grows. And these areas, this grass was a natural thing. It was meant to feed animals. So that's, that's kind of like, I want you to understand this. Uh, this is the time that, that they, were, they were starting to plow all the grass. I mean, we're talking millions of acres being plowed And so what's happening was all the the buffaloes have been been pretty much moved and displaced. Uh, We know that Native Americans had been cruelly and and unethically moved and displaced, right? So now they were taking over all this land and, 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 and using it for something that it wasn't meant to be used for. So now we have the Great Plains that once was filled with grass has now been plowed over. It's just dirt. And it's about that time that technology showed up. And we know that technology can be great, but it also can do other things. But technology showed up. And how many, technology back then was a John Deere tractor. <laughs> we don't think much about that now. But technology then was like a John Deere tractor. So it made it very easy to plow this grass. So people began to take loans out, and they would buy these tractors. And, and so now we have these farmers, people who weren't farmers, but they were plowing Acres and acres, actually up to 100 million acres of grass was being plowed, and so what happened was now there's no more grass, and 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 the only thing that was under it, it, it exposed all the dirt that was there. So they planted wheat, and I think this is interesting because wheat is something that grows, but wheat does not have deep roots. Okay, and so they plant. Wheat where there's supposed to be all this grass. What they didn't realize is that soon there would be an amazing drought like none other before. This drought would hit this part of the nation. And as the 1930s began and the 1920s gave way to the driest season in American history, this drought was so large that 46 of the 48 states at that time, Alaska and Hawaii obviously weren't part of the, the, the 50 at that time, 46 of the 48 states were affected by this drought. There were parts, they said, like in Louisiana, where there was 130 straight days of temperatures close to 100 degrees. A severe drought hit the United States. Now, remember, they had been given this land, and and they, they plowed over all the grass. A drought comes after they plant their wheat. And so it's happening. It's impossible now to grow the grain. And the winds came. And the storms came, which was normal for this part of the, world, the, the country, right? It's always windy out west. If you've ever been out there, it's often windy. It was normal. The problem was the wheats didn't have deep roots. The prairie grass had no monetary value. Like, you can't just, like, we're going to sell some prairie grass. But prairie grass was known to have very deep roots. Actually, prairie grass would go up to five feet deep into the ground so that when the storms came and, and, and the droughts came, the grass would survive. But they planted wheat. They planted something there that they weren't supposed to do. How I know mean, many times we plant our lives in places that we just shouldn't be. And when the storms come, it might look good. It might have been given to us. It might seem like this is my right. This is my, like, I've been given this so I can live this life. And it's my choice. I mean, many times we make these decisions, but when the storms come, the wind just blows people away. And so these roots went deep down. So over thousands of years, the prairie grass, which was native to this area, that grass is what held the dirt down. The grass is what prevented sandstorms. The grass was there. I mean, God knew what he was doing when he he filled the country with that much grass to prevent these kind of sandstorms. Like, God had a reason for it there. But since they plowed 100 million acres of this grass, even when the normal winds came, even when the normal storms showed up, the weather got hot, There was nothing to hold the dirt down. There was nothing to stop it. And billions and billions of tons of dirt and sand would destroy the lives of hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. All because of the foolishness and pride of people. And just like the man in the story that Jesus told, the difficulty of whether showing up right the difficult weather showed that they had nothing that was rooted into the depths of the ground and I got news for you we are living in a time and age when people if we are not rooted deep in the Word of God when the winds come and the storms blow our lives can quickly be detached and there's no way around it and the thing is when we get detached it devastates other people's lives I mean, we just think, like, it's only going to bother me. No, other people are affected by decisions that we make. And the problem is we don't learn from our past faults and make changes. Here's the takeaway from this sad story, and it's going to get better, but it's really profound. Here we go. 30 comes after 20. (laughs) It's not very profound, right? (laughs) 30 comes after 20. How many know 40 comes after 30? 50, and some of you are like... I don't want to get older already. You're making me feel older. Like, I'm getting close to 50. Well, 50 comes after 40. Not real profound, but it's going to make sense. What I mean by this is we can live right here in the moment. But forget that perhaps we are slowly moving towards a future that we won't like when we get there. Like Like, we can say, like, I'm living right now in the moment. I can do what I want. But perhaps... In the future, we won't like where we end up because we didn't change things when we had a chance to change things. I have talked to too many people who are way down the road in life and said, if I could just go back in time and talk to myself when I was a young person, I would have done things a lot differently. Listen right now and listen to me good. If you are younger in this room, you need to right now start thinking about what kind of impact will this have on my future? In Jesus' name, amen. And I, I, I will go there because God said, Go there. Hallelujah. Yeah, you because know, here's the thing the Bible, and I, my Bible's in my office, I have the scriptures here. So I have the Bible gateway on here. So the Bible, the Bible is an amazing book of life, amen. Now, how many know the Bible also provides fences yes. and guardrails? I mean, there's things in it that, that sometimes I'm like, really, God, do, does I, do I really have to do this? Like fasting is uncomfortable or, or all these things that you asked me to do and like to watch my speech and to watch my words and to bite my tongue. Like how many know sometimes it's like, do I really want to do that now? But how many know sometimes we, if we make the right decisions now, it can greatly impact our future for the better. And like starting today, like today, there's a song that I hear on Christian radio. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. Like like, I want to make some choices right now that will impact my future and it will actually be better. And so I got to ask myself like what, as Jesus asked at the very beginning in Matthew as we read the scriptures, like what kind of house are you building? What foundation right now? are you building your life on? Is your, is your house built of sand? Is it not very deep? Does it not have a foundation? Is it like the wheat? Or is your house like the grass? That grass has been there in the prairies for thousands of years, and there's never been dust storms. As soon as they came in and they plowed over the grass because it was free, what happened? Dust storms. Was it preventable? Yes. Who did it? We did it. We self-inflicted it. How many times in our life do we self-inflict our own future and our own potential? Because in the moment, it might say that this is my right, but is it what God wants? All right, here's the good news. And there's a lot of good news. We have the power to do what God has called us to do right now. We have the ability to say, I am going to learn, and I'm not going to make these same mistakes. We have this relationally, spiritually. See, listen, I like to say that now yells louder, but later lasts longer. Now yells louder. Like, like right now it's loud, but later lasts longer. I want to make decisions now that last longer for my benefit, for my family, for our church. Amen? So we need to, and I think I actually put this, I hope I did, protect your future by living carefully right now. Like, think about it. Protect your future by living carefully carefully right now. I want to be careful with what God has given me. I want to be careful with my relationships, with my family, with my finances, with my life, with my decisions, with what I, with what I intake. And I, I, how many know? Like, I want to be careful now. I want to protect my future. Because God needs us, church, to be healthy, to be a mighty army. God doesn't need a church to be like beat down, beat up, and worn out. That's right. We have work to do, amen? So, I think how easy it is to burden our future with what we do now. And, I, and I'm learning this lesson myself. Like, like, I'm starting to really try to save and invest uh, funds in our life. I've, I've made some decisions lately. Like, it's going to hurt a little now. We're going to have to tighten things up. I'm going to put some money, but I want to invest now so that in my future, you know, I can go on missions trips when I'm retired. Amen. Like, I don't have dreams of just sitting back and doing nothing. Like, I want to go do things. (laughs) And so there's this thought of, like, what we do now. And so you say, like, really, is it that big a deal? Let me just give you an example. And can I get really real for a second? It might make someone uncomfortable, but I feel like we all need sometimes to be a little bit uncomfortable. I did a couple studies on things that we're doing as a culture, and I, I found some very disturbing things. One out of every four Google searches is for pornographic or pornographic things in nature. One out of four. 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. Someone's like, I didn't know he was going to go here. (laughs) Every second, now look at this, every second in the United States, $3,075 is being spent on pornography on the internet. So in the time it took me to say that, $30,000 were just spent on porn. Wow. How does pornography hurt teenagers? It increases the odds of teenage pregnancy greatly, greatly. It raises the risk of anxiety and depression 100, 100-fold. It's like 100, I saw different numbers, over 100%. It raises everything. And there's so many stats. How does it affect marriages. Well, according to the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a major problem in their home. And of Christian homes, that number is 38%. Pornography Pornography use increases marital infidelity by more than 300%. The list goes on and on. Drug and alcohol abuse, stealing, lying, cheating, addictions, on and on. How many know all these things? Decisions we make now can either tax our future or they can set us free to a different course. Amen. I want to like that thing I put up there. I want to protect my future by being careful about my decisions now. Amen. I mean, it's hard to hear, but it's true. Like, like God, like you want to use us. For a long time in life, but many times we are making decisions based on like it's right now it just seems easy and free, like those farmers who were given this land, but they didn't really think about like the consequence. And so we need to protect our future by living carefully now. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I want to live careful. I want I want to protect my marriage, amen. Like, like, I, I, I'm blessed. I see a lot of you in this room, and I'm, I'm being honest. I see, you like, you slip your arm around your wife, guys. I'm like, that's awesome. Right? I see you protecting your children and giving your kids a hug. I'm like, that's right. How I many? That's what we need to do more of. Amen. Like, like, really protect what we have. I mean, if you're single, like, like, you, like, you're protecting something that you're going to give away someday. And, like, like, there's something valuable that we've lost in our society about protecting things that God has ordained maybe for a later time. But we just feel like we just do it all now, like, because it's, it's free. I have freedom. It's my rights. No, but there's always something else down the road that we'll have to pay for for how we live now. Church, we need to make some changes in our lives. I, I, every day, I just like, I need to make changes in my life. I'm constantly saying, Lord, what what in my life can I change? What needs to go? And I'm about ready to finish. Because if we don't change, in a blink of an eye, we can lose a generation. Like, we are very close. Like, we have a generation right now that's just, um, I guess you could say, turned off by church as normal, or church as usual. I've been doing a lot of studies Uh, about Gen Z, and I'm on a team with, by the way, president of our Open Bible Church is Randall Bach. He'll actually be preaching here behind this pulpit in a a few months. I'm excited about that. He's an amazing orator. You're going to love him. But I, I, I get to be with him, and we've been really studying Gen Z and the mindset about how to not lose a generation. Like, they are not interested in just, like, gathering together and having a social meeting like, like, they want to have, like, purpose needs to be attached to what we do. Like, it's, we need to not forget about the assembling together, but we also need to go out of the four walls and touch people's lives. Amen? We need to live under God's authority. I want to read these last verses, and I'll have you stand with me. It's Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach or proclaim the news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for prisoners. God has ordained, many of you in this room right now, you're sitting here, God, you don't even realize that God's gonna use you for amazing things. I just speak that over your lives. Some of you in this room, you have a gift of like communication, of laughter, of just happiness. Listen, that's like happiness is infectious. And God's going to use you to touch the brokenhearted, like like to touch lives. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, to release from darkness. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, 2020. We believe that. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion and bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. I believe holy joy is just gonna break out one of these days. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Yes. Boy, I felt some of that and the Lord. I just pray for that garment of praise. Yes. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Yes. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will last for us, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, like those plains. Eight years, devastation. Now what do they do, right? Eight years, they lost it all. They will renew the, the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So we had a generation that were in the 1920s and in the 1930s because of the storms and the depression. Like, what do they do now? One of the things that was the most significant things that brought that part of the country out of the Dust Bowl was something that Franklin D. Roosevelt did. He said, we will plant 220 million trees from Canada all the way down to Mexico. And they built a border of trees that you can see it today. And people don't even know about these things. There's 220 million trees that were planted to stop the wind, and they replanted the grass. And I don't know if you've been out there recently. We've been out there a few times. For miles and miles, you see this beautiful grass. And then you see the trees that were planted. And those trees were there to protect people. It brought new life. And so, the, this 220 million represents not only like, like they were given, like there's, there's a solution here, there were many things that were done. That was one of the greatest things that was done. That's a lot of trees. And it reminds me of the greatest tree ever. How many of that, that? God sent his son, and he died on a tree. But it just took one tree, amen, to save people forever. Would you stand with me? See the cross. I have, I think, the cross up here. I like to look at it, even though we have that. I I just, how many? There's this beauty in that. It's like, like those trees that FDR put became like a fence, a shield that would protect so that that new grass could grow. And people began to move back after the Great Depression. Then we have, we have World War II, and then we had like a great economic boom and, and things began to change, but those trees stood s- strong and tall and, and, and they were like, roots were deep. It's like those two houses that Jesus told the story in Matthew 7 as he ended his sermon. He's like, like you, get, you get to choose. Like, do you wanna be this house or do you wanna be this house? Or in Psalm 1, do you want to be a tree that produces fruit? Or do you want to be a tumbleweed that just goes through life? Just wherever the wind takes me, that's just where I go. And I just end up here. No, I don't want to be that person. I want to say I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I don't know all the details. God knows that. But I just know that I'm rooted in God. And I just pray over you that no matter what storm hits, I speak that you will not lose faith. Like, like, there's nothing, how many in this room can say, like, there's nothing that could happen that would ever cause me to turn away from God? Like, no matter what I go through, I love being around, like, like, saints and people who have, like, walked the walk for years and years and years that literally will be given, like, you know, bad news or their health really gets bad, and they, like, it's okay. They'll say, like, I know that, that God's got me in his hands, and it's just a beautiful thing. Would you pray with me as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed? Father God, we thank you that, that, that you have us in your hands and because of the cross. Like that tree that your son Jesus died on was a barrier. It, 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 it stopped the, the curse of death and sin for those who believe who receive you as Lord and Savior. We thank you that it guards us, it protects us, it guides us. And it and, and enables us to survive storms. It's, it's amazing. And just like those trees in the plains brought new hope to hopeless areas, God's son who died on the tree, the cross, brought hope and brings hope to areas of our lives that seem hopeless. And I pray... And I believe that I say this with with great faith that you will protect your future by living carefully now. Like, and I don't want anyone to feel like condemned to leave, like, oh, it was so hard to hear some of those stuff. No, I want you to hear that and say, oh, thank you, God, that I just right now, I surrender all to you. Like, like, you might be somebody who's been saved for 10, 15, 20 years but you still, like me, need to come back and say God, I surrender right now I've, I've attached some new things to me and I, I, I want to be free from these things that I've, I've, I've picked up along the way and Lord, I pray right now that you would enable us right now to make these decisions in our life today moving forward That we would truly learn from things that we've gone through, mistakes from our past, and not repeat them in Jesus' name so that the church can truly be the church. And I speak prospering uh, prosperity. I speak uh, uh, health over our bodies, over our marriages. If you're single, I I pray over you that you would have just this profound determination to wait to make the right decisions now now in Jesus name amen I want to ask you I'm going to give you just a little homework let's read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 this week, amen the Lord just said just read that sermon just read it again, read it a couple times land on it get those beatitudes in there I mean, blessed are the poor, blessed are the, it's amazing. You read those and you're just like, oh, this is so great. And then you get into the Lord's Prayer and then you get into Matthew 6. And I'm telling you, it will bless you. It will move you. God, bless your church today as we go from this place. We are excited about what's ahead in our lives. I pray, God, that we would today be very aware of our actions aware of our relationship with you. I pray, God, that we would every day make time to be with you. Bless this assembly, God, as we leave this place. Now, Lord, I pray that the world would just see the love of Jesus all over us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Be safe. Be warm. (laughs)